Well, hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Part of the Gaps, the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between the church and culture uh, with a mixture of wit, wisdom, banter and all kinds of things. I'm uh, Andy Bannister and uh, joined as uh, as ever by my uh, by podcasting partner in crime, uh, Aaron Edwards. Aaron, how are you doing today? Um, I've got a cough, which is not great for a podcast, is it? Not great for a, a, a cough cast, part of the coughs. And a beard, actually. Um, I do have a beard. We, we knew that. Our listeners are familiar well, they with did, the beard. We need, to, well, we need to at some point update our profile photos because you really can't appreciate there are beards and there are beards and this is definitely a beard um now avid listeners of the show we have about a sort of it's about a thousand people now madly crazily listening to this thing regularly may have spotted there has been a little bit of a gap between um the last episode we did and uh, and 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 this one um and there's a little story behind that and also a story behind why often you know if you listen to one of the gaps we start with a you know shed load of, of banter and there'll be a bit of banter in the show there'll be a bit of banter but it's sort of banter didn't also feel totally appropriate at the start for reasons also linked to why there's been a gap between this and the last episode but Aaron since that story involves kind of you what's what's been going on in your life that has sort of taken you out of action uh, for a few weeks yeah, so um, we've had, had a yeah family bereavement. So my mum passed away um, about a month ago, and that the kind of build up to that has obviously been yeah taken a lot out. Um, and we're going to visit her in the time before she had um, cancer and various uh, timetabled operations which were planned and hoped for to achieve certain things weren't able to happen um or by the time the operation came it, it uh yeah it was too late to operate and other things as part of those who have family members uh suffering cancer or have suffered cancer will know the kind of familiar timelines of the thoughts of radiotherapy or chemotherapy other times um that all kind of yeah it, it just escalated very very quickly and so from her diagnosis last year um to what was planned to be an operation in January, she, it all kind of, the, 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 she had three different kinds of cancer and it was very aggressive and got out of control quite fast. So it was in some ways it was expected, but not this soon. Mm. Um, and so that was quite a shock really. So we've had, yeah, visiting her as much as we possibly could in the interim period. And then, and then she passed away. Then we went down for the funeral not too long ago either. So yeah, that's been, it's been a bit of a bizarre start to the year, really. And I think, um, I think as you're sharing that, I mean, I think I was saying before the show began, we've been, very, I realize how fortunate I am that we haven't lost kind of family, haven't lost any family members yet, but in the last few years had a few, a few friends go in every case unexpectedly. And I think, I think mm. it can be tough, can't it, when it's the speed, because you talk about it as a year mm. there. Mm. So, you know, I have a good, I had a good friend called the Bill Qureshi, maybe known to listeners from the mm. show because he wrote a, a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He, his story of his mm. conversion from Islam to Christianity made him very, very well known. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. And it was similar about a year mm. Mm. diagnosed his death. He was in his early 30s. But the speed mm. um, can be tough when these when that happens, can't it? Is that you sort of mm. suddenly are swept along in this tsunami. Mm. Yeah, and it... it, it I mean, it's amazing how many people you speak to now that for whom that you you don't have to 
talk for long for someone to be able to share an experience of of a cancer sufferer you know it's gone from one in four when i was growing up i often heard that stat to one in two uh, now um and i think that's it's just something about yes yeah, so there's all sorts of kind of thoughts in my mind about that about lifestyles about um various kind of issues relating to cancer but without even almost the time to properly process it or even the desire to go to town on it just sort of some random thoughts I, I sort of seem to have on why is it that this is just the case why is it so um acceptable almost not that it, not that we want to accept it but just why is it so common why is it so prevalent um and why can't we do more about it that kind of thing that's one sense of kind of thinking about about it but in another it's uh yeah you're just dealing with the grief itself the um the kind of coming to terms of, of with the loss which i find i can do far more easily when i'm out of the situation than when i'm in the midst of it so for me it's been a very strange time i've been extremely busy trying to carry on with the busyness at the same time as trying to deal or compartmentalize the anticipation of grief and then actually experiencing it when she um when i knew that she was we were seeing mm-hmm. her for the last time which was really really difficult um and i i was set off when my younger um, when my son realized that he was seeing nanny for the last time in in the hospital bed um and there was this really kind of touching moment where both he, he and i were bur- had burst into tears and uh my daughter uh, a five-year-old was there was the one kind of comforting us going like there they'll be okay they're kind of holding us together um so we were the brave the brave lads weeping uh while our uh well uh, you know our five-year-old girl is is there kind of comforting us and, and those sort of moments are very powerful and touching mm. and yet it's the kind of moment that i couldn't bring myself to uh whilst i'm completely out of the situation living in a completely different part of the country getting on with everything else you can i don't know some people find it easier i probably find it i don't know if it's a entirely healthy to do this or not but i can compartmentalize in a way because you're kind of getting on with something I mean, many people find that a way of of uh yeah continuing life or continuing getting on with something but then when i was actually down there again that's when it really hit me again so when we went down for the funeral it was being in my mum's house being around her things uh putting her music on the cd player she was just a really big music person um and even just doing washing up in her kitchen with her music on, whatever it would be, whether it's Bob Dylan or Irish folk music or um, Rod Stewart, she was a huge fan of, and <laughs> things like that would really set me off um, in ways that I don't even think I I could if I'm just here talking now. I, it's it's I guess I have slightly more distance from it. Um, whereas when I was there, I, I would just be crying at random moments. I think my, my wife Molly would. Uh, try and talk to me about something and if, if a certain song had come on I would just start crying because there's a, a sort of connection a powerful emotional connection to things like music which bring things out of you that you might have hoped to keep under wraps and and, and it just kind of comes out but I don't think it you know I, I'm very appreciative of those moments as well because I think so mm-hmm. often we can run away from them or try to bottle them up or turn the tap off and as we know Ecclesiastes, there is there is a time to mourn, and however much we try to um, keep ourselves away from that kind of pain and loss, it's something that is inev- not only inevitable but a, a good thing, a positive thing to be able yeah. to mourn the loss of someone who, who matters to you so much. Well, there's, there's a couple of the, well, a couple of things there, but one thing that really struck me there in the way that you 
you told that story, Aaron, is the fact that you had the, you know, you had the kids there in the mm. hospital kind of caught up in the grieving process. Cause I do think there is this, it's interesting, isn't there? That it seems that culture right now is sort of this sort of sort of strange dichotomy. On the one hand, there's this very sort of overly emotional side to culture that expects people to throw their entrails around and mm. and just you mm. know really just you know emote in, in 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 public and and so on. So in that sense, you know, publicly grieving, I guess, kind of kind of, mm. kind of fits with it. On the other hand, we've also got still got that strange sort of stiff British upper lipless um, mm. British. Uh, stiff upper lipidness or something there's a word in there somewhere it's late and my brain's not mm. functioning yeah. properly which sort of says all oh, you must never you know don't 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 sort of bring this out publicly or don't expose children mm. to it mm. or that or that mm. kind of thing and i think actually there's something healthy actually about modeling mm. modeling what grief looks like as you say ecclesiastes mm. um talks about it you know jesus at the tomb of lazarus you know wept mm. modeled for his grief you know his other mm-hmm. sort of crowd said see how much he that you know loved him uh, mm-hmm. and so forth the other thing that struck me though um was before the show we were chatting and you commented that you did something quite surprising actually you preached at your mum's funeral so you actually did the did the, did the, did the sermon yeah i did the funeral address and funnily enough as you say that i remember my my phd supervisor Years ago, I don't think he listens to Part of the Gap, so it's all right. Um, well, I don't think it's, I'm not going to say anything mean about him anyway. But I remember him commenting on both Karl Barth and Friedrich Schleiermacher, who are both German-speaking theologians, who preached at family members' funerals and how, how much he disagreed with that. Um, I obviously didn't uh, pay heed to my uh, supervisor's advice, but I think that's partly because you can't... The reason why there, there can be a... Um, a bit of an issue around that is obviously the distance. It's harder to have the distance, and maybe you will say things that are less objective, or um, or that it isn't a helpful way because you might actually be uh, short circuiting the grief process by having to do something at the funeral, that kind of thing. But for me, I didn't really feel it was inappropriate um, to speak at the sermon. I actually felt I got a real sense that it would be really inappropriate if I didn't. And I sort of had to um, t- chat about it with with siblings. Um, all of, all my siblings are Christians, which is great. And you know, d- discussing what we plans will be for the funeral. And I had to sort of say, I know there's a lot of people who want to speak and say this, but I, I really feel I need to say this. I need to say some, these things. Um, I felt basically the moment I f- I, I heard the news of my mum's finally passing. I just wrote a sermon on my phone within minutes. I didn't, it wasn't like I planned to do that. It was just something that sort of, I felt, I really felt the need mm. to say things. And it was partly eulogistic. There were some things about her I wanted to say, but it wasn't just a eulogy. It was something that I wanted to lead into um, a reflection on what it means to be a Christian, because there was something important about that and what it means to have faith in Jesus, which for her was quite a complicated thing. So we had an interesting yeah, situation there because she sort of come, made a commitment of faith mm. close to the end. Though had always had a sort of latent, quiet Catholic faith, uh, which runs in our family. Um, it was not straightforward uh, this situation, but I was so grateful to hear of the news from my sister, who she who was caring for her for a time, who had really kind of spent time sitting and praying and, and ch- talking with her about the gospel and about making a commitment. 
um and and she did and it was real and you know when i went to visit her i could hear her praying out loud of her own accord which i hadn't ever really heard before um which was wonderful but that it was trying to get that across to a massive room of non people who are not mixed with non-christians agnostics outright atheists as well as those who are kind of latent catholics who would sort of think what's all this becoming a christian business that's a bit offensive actually she's always been a christian hasn't she like we all are um and that's the kind of so it was a really tricky territory, and I just felt like, this is hard, really hard, but I really feel like I need mm. to say this and, and talk about this. So it was, it was. I was glad of it. It was a positive experience, mm. but it was, it was quite a challenge as well. I think it's also important, isn't it? Because we were saying earlier, again, while we were sort of chatting before we, we press record, that it doesn't strike me that there's an amazing amount of nonsense talked around funerals sometimes mm. such that christians really do need to be afraid of not talking of talking straight when it's in something like the case of your mum who is a mm. is a believer i think you know you gave the example of you know the language that you hear some people sort of talk about oh yeah granddad died but he's now a star up in the sky mm. or um you know i came across i forget which one i, I want to say it was brian cox i'm not sure it was it was someone like that famous atheist mm. who mm who took the stardust thing a different way and sort of tried to say, you know, when, when you die, just remember that, you know, we are stardust. We came from, you know, we came from nuclear fusion and the stars and now we're going back mm. to sort of, you know, dust. And isn't it wonderful, the great mm. cycle of nature? And I mm. think on the one hand, you've got either stuff that's just total nonsense or stuff that, you know, pastorally is mm. not a lot of use really. I don't think it really helps think mm. of my, you know, my all my grandparents are passed away. Mm. I don't think if it would help me to think of them as, you know, okay, well, granddad's a little bit of carbon in the garden, but hey, that's great, he's stardust. Um, and then, personally, I, you know, in my, um, I had a cousin who committed suicide in his early, mm. in his early 30s, some, mm. some years ago. Now, a very sad story, he was, he had, I, I forget, he had some mental illness, I forget what it, I forget what it was, and he was on medication to control it, and something, he, he'd forgotten to take his medication or something is what we think it would have happened, and he'd, that had totally unbalanced him, mm. and he's he'd uh, he'd he'd um he'd taken his life. Mm. And but I remember at the funeral because he had no faith, and his girlfriend was 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 probably self described as a humanist. So we had a they had a humanist funeral, which is quite weird because there were a couple of hymns and then a couple of other sort of songs that people generally liked, and some bits of poetry. And then uh, the person who was leading, who I think I think was called was called a celebrant, which to me personally actually sounds like an elf from Lord of the Rings, you know, the <laughs> Elrond and his right-hand man. Celebrant, the elf. Anyway, the <laughs> celebrant, who didn't have pointy ears, so I, I don't think it was an, was an elf. He's, he's um, only 700 years old. He's not He's, he's not 700 years old. Not, years old. Not, not, yeah, yeah he, he doesn't go right back to the first age for the, you know, you're yeah. talking. Yeah. And, uh, but I vividly remember the best he could have had to offer in his little address was he talked about how, how how Jonathan would live on in our memories and you know that's what we have mm. to look forward to that we 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 do we do live on in the lives of our friends I, me- I remember to my mother afterwards actually you know deeply Christian faith but would not call herself a particularly a sort of theologian or a philosopher you know sort of sort of had a philosophical look on her face and she said that's that's not true is it because we forget <laughs> those in the past it it, it, mm. it happens that you know mm when I'd one day die, my kids will remember me, but the grandkids will remember me less and probably the great grandkids mm. will have no idea who I am. And in fact, a good enough example I 
good anal- uh, metaphor or illustration I saw of this is if you can, you know, find the oldest family photo you can, if you've got some really old photo, fa- family photos kicking around. And I bet there are people in those photos whose names you don't know. My parents have got mm. black and white mm. photos of, you know, sort of turn of the last mm. century photos. So mm. There are certain family members, they know who they are. There's other people mm. in those photos, no one knows who they are. They've been forgotten. Mm. Um, mm. So I don't think we do live on in the, mm. in the, in our mm. memories of our friends. Or, and I always like, I also like the Woody Allen quip who said, you know, he said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to live on in the, in the memories of my family and the memories of my countrymen. I'd actually rather live on in my apartment. Um, mm. Quite frankly, I quite like that line. And you know, all that to say <laughs> that I think there is something quite unique about a Christian funeral when it's done mm. when it's done well. It doesn't mean we forget the tears and, and play it fast and mm. loose and go, oh, you know, cheer up, it's all right because mm. you know your mother's gone to be with Jesus. But there is that the fact we can offer something concrete does mm. really surely this is the place where if Christian hope mm. means anything, it means anything at all. As opposed, mm. compared to what the world has to offer, absolutely. And this is cu- partly why, yeah, as I said, I was grateful chatting to my siblings that they have the opportunity to be able to speak the, the gospel truth at the funeral, which they were all wanting to happen, which was great, and actually happened in loads of other ways. My older brother led the service and did a great job um, uh, arranging the tributes and, and saying and praying and. and adding things around it and it was it was i, I think it's, as you say there's there's got to be something real about christian hope that isn't just fluffy at the same time it's re- the really hard thing is of course yeah there there is always a sense in which you have ambiguous situations which are even more you know more ambiguous situations than in my mum's case i think it could have been more ambiguous um but i don't think it was really in the end but there are many where people are asked to speak at these funerals i was talking to a colleague recently who you know, he spoke at one funeral of a Christian friend, and then someone in the congregation that day heard him speak, and then said, "Oh, will you speak at my my friend's funeral who who died a you know a few weeks later?" But he couldn't say the same things about this person. But this person's hoping that he will be able to say those things um, about hope. And I guess he he would you know he said he he kind of lent on the kind of mystery and then the, you know, the, the hope of, of God's inclusive grace in some way which of course absolutely there is mystery and there's there's things you don't know about eternity but there are th- also things we do know based on what God has revealed and we can't just pretend that isn't the case when we want to comfort someone and, and it's kind of not the best kind of comfort to delude people either if especially if it might affect them in their own life the way that they approach eternity so it's a really tricky area because we often are so conscious of the pastoral concern as we should be um but it's again what like we talked on this show before i think what is what does it mean to be pastoral does it mean just to say they're there and just to bring a kind of comfort which is very short term and doesn't really give people the truth it doesn't really um help them in in the longer term that just sort of makes them feel like they have a frame of reference to get through whatever this current moment is um i think that's often end up how our culture deals with these grievous situations when when somebody dies that is why we get all sorts of pseudo-religious uh, language that comes in now it, it does of course help people to think that and it, to think that their loved ones will just be remembered or will be somewhere in the sky um, without a basis for that, um, but they won't live their own life in any way as though that's true. So you think, okay, so if if your loved one is going to be, you're going to be reunited with them in some way, 
what, what would that mean for your life now? I mean, what does it mean for you to be reconciled to God in that way? And they, I don't think they really are interested in that that part of the question, but they just want that comfort anyway. Um, they want to short circuit all of this stuff in between about what it might actually mean to have, a, you know, to, to be reconciled with God, to mm. live for live for eternity um, in the in the present, um, but get all of the kind of fruits of that. And that's this, that's why it's a very tricky area because, of course, it's it's obtuse to blast in and just, you know, um, while people are in this very vulnerable state and kind of knock everything, you know, for six and, and try to um, blast everyone with the gospel or with eternity. But there has, I do think, there probably ought to be a bit more than there is because it is this quite crucial moment, especially in our culture, where people just avoid thinking about those big questions until a crisis moment happens, like at the death of a loved one, and it really does make people think what on earth is my life about yeah so you have so somehow it's about doing all of that speaking that kind of truth at the same time as being just really real about how hard the grief is and entering in the, into that with people which which will differ depending on i guess your relationship to them and to and to the person yeah. who you're you're mutually grieving yeah. for. well i had i had a a good friend of mine who was also my pastor actually for some for some years and he you know died sort of quite suddenly five or six years ago but my first book is dedicated to to to, to him and i think in that case it was cjd which was like you know really quite that's that i mean that's that's really fast um but i think it was peter i think it was peter and of course he's not around to correct me if i'm misattributing the story <laughs> i remember one occasion having this conversation with because he was an interesting mix you know he was a he was a train he was a counselor he was a philosopher uh was a pastor very very gifted kind of polymath I remember once on one occasion, I think, asking him this kind of question. I'm saying, you know, Peter, what what do you do when you're preaching at a funeral for somebody, as you say, who is not a Christian? Now, you, of course, you know, you never know, but you've got no outs. There's no outward sign. There's no. There's no. Yeah. There's no clue. There's no. There's no. There's no hint. Um, and I think it was Peter who said to me, "So, well, one thing he would do is often talk about." you know, the gospel sort of like slightly indirectly. And so the hope of the gospel is, you know, we, you know, if, mm. you know, if J- Jim had put his life in Christ, this is what we know the promise is. And just drop those occasional ifs in. So you're not saying mm. this is what he believed. Mm. You're prefacing mm. it with, with the if mm. piece. And he said, if you do that carefully, you can actually mm. preach really positively. You can challenge people. You'd be quite evangelistic, but you're nowhere. Mm. Are you actually coming out and saying, well, this is what so and so believe, but mm. similar to you, I think he would, you know, have talked about the fact that yeah, those 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 big those big life moments. The, I mean, the other one, I think, particularly not so much. I mean, this was a Baptist church, but I think you know, for those in say the Anglican or Catholic traditions, mm. where you've got you know where where you've got the christening and you know the new you've got the new life weddings are a, yeah. are another yeah. one. I think there are some real rites of passage that I think for Christians mm. have the privilege of taking part in ministry of going to think really really seriously about those and not just do the, mm. the sort of mm. kind of rubber the rubber stamping piece because i think mm. it's uh, it's too easy mm. on the other hand i mean again just it was just something i said there made me think the whole you never know you know i've most interesting books i've read so far this this year i, I have quite eclectic reading taste i started off the year by reading all the james bond novels because i wanted something just light and totally <laughs> yeah. different and um and then i read an amazing book um by a, a guy i vaguely know in the states called larry taunton and it's a book called the, oh, faith, yeah. the faith of christopher hitchens oh that's an amazing book 
Yes. Oh, you've read it. Yeah. So yeah. I read that because I because I knew I knew of Larry. So you know the story, right? So Larry, Larry mm. one of the things mm. Larry did is he organized debates. So he organized the big debates between Richard Dawkins and John Lennox. Mm. He organized several debates mm. with, with Hitchens. And through the course of that, became friends mm. with Hitchens. And actually, they had these amazing discussions about faith. You know, what he said is that publicly, mm. Hitchens would be very, very antagonistic. Because that was the role he was yeah. playing. But he said he was far more complicated than that on behind yeah. the closed doors. So, you know, that, I love yeah. that story, you, you know, the book, right? And one of the last debates mm. that Hitchens did as he was dying of cancer, it only worked, he was too sick to fly. So Larry drove him cross country on this like 11 hour road trip that Christopher really wanted to do. And they, all the way they studied the Gospel of John, that, that bit where Larry's mm. describing, yeah. you know, driving through one of the national yeah. parks. And there's Christopher with his glasses on the end of his nose going, okay, well, right. So yeah. John, John chapter one. Yeah. So what do we think is going on here? Yeah. But what I like with the whiskey between his legs. That's it. The whiskey between his legs, and, and, and yes. a couple of times when police officers at cars would go by, and it was <laughs> terrified he'd get nicked for having opened yeah. alcohol in the car. But um, what I like about that book, it's really interesting that a lot of atheists got very angry and, and accused mm. Larry of trying to suggest there was deathbed conversion. The book's very honest. There was no deathbed conversion, but mm. what all those stories told him was that we never know what's going on. He, you know, he says like. I have, mm. We have no idea what happened with with Hitchens at the end. All we do know is mm. the, the the guy's interior spiritual, you know, spirit, quote unquote spiritual life was very different to the external one. And so, at the same time, yeah. you don't want to give people false hope. But of course, so there's also I think that's a good reason not to damn and go. That's we, really good. We don't know, but what we do know is the is the gospel is the certainty, which is why I say I like Peter's advice to me was mm. that's where you. Mm. Peg it, peg it, peg it around what mm. you do know, mm. Um, mm. which is that absolutely. The I think that, that, that's you know that's that's a great example actually as well. I would absolutely recommend to listeners to to look that. Oh, book. gee, it's amazing. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, that, the last chapter is something. Else. It was. I mean, it's actually as well. It did. It did it, you, it's a really good way of thinking about this topic actually because I think I, I, I found a, I found a book in charity shop just last week. Actually, we were spent a week away after the funeral and everything um and i found a christopher hitchens book in mm. the charity shop called mortality like his reflection on his cancer which i was very interested in obviously having um, gone through the experience with my mum, um and his own reflections while he's in the ward as he's approaching death and I'm just starting to read it recently, which is fascinating. And he does reflect on his friendships with people like Larry Taunton and Douglas Wilson, who'd also done a, That's right. a speaking tour with that. There's that um, documentary called Collision mm. of their speaking tour. And he, he just, there's just some interesting, he's just a very human person. He just seemed very, he's definitely my favorite new atheist <laughs> and by far. Um, he, he just had a way of, yeah, of speaking quite honestly. Um, at the same time as the book brings out, there were there was a duplicitousness as well about what he'd be willing to say for pantomime reasons outwardly, but when he's on his own, he might say things slightly differently because he had a kind of a, a, a public role to fulfil almost. Now, that, not not to say he didn't believe all the stuff that he spouted out because I'm sure he did. So the atheist, any any of our atheist listeners, if we have any left, uh, would be of course screaming right now and say, "Oh no, he was an absolute diehard, and and he was, and you know, of, of our camp." But there was enough in that book to make me think, "Gosh." There was a lot of ambiguity here, and the way that he even was willing to have this Bible study on the Gospel of John, and there was that particular moment which I, mm-hmm. uh, which comes out where he they reads the situation, the um, account of Lazarus in, in John eleven, and I think they're reading it in the King James version, 
you know the kind of believest uh, i'm the resurrection and the life you know um if uh and, and ending on the believest thou this and then i think he, he asks him the question larry asks uh, christopher the question so believest thou this uh christopher and he said i i don't believe you know I, I have to admit it's not without its appeal and you think it's not without its appeal to believe that there is this one who has conquered death and this one who goes before us with that amazing hope who is the resurrection and the life and those who uh, believe in him um, though they die they will live and you think gosh that is the mm. hope that we have it's so it's so stirring to think of one of the most you know prominent atheists who've influenced mil- you know, millions of people um in the western in western culture contemplating the reality of resurrection without without any of the cameras or microphones on him um at that time and so i think there's absolutely more going on than people realize but we absolutely have a a duty to point people to the truth to that hope um and and to be sensitive but at the same time and to be open to mystery but at the same time not to just go along with the sentimentality for the sake of it because i just think that isn't going to serve people um truly in in the longer term i think um yeah i think the other thing that struck me because you mentioned the, the lazarus piece the other thing that I, I think is so powerful about that passage is, you know, look at the two ways that Jesus responds, uh, you know, there. I mean, anger is is one thing, emotion that comes through, and then grief. And I think mm. what's interesting, the other thing I think that, that I've only really in recent few years appreciated about the Christian faith, of course, is, you know, when you take seriously the idea that, that death is not normal, it's not mm. it's not right, it's an alien intrusion into God's good creation, that mm. also gives the ability to process the anger part, which is mm. one of the stages of, of, of grief, actually, because, of course, mm. the thing I've always found challenging, you know, and again, if we have if we have any, you know, secular listeners kind of left, this is not me being pejorative, it's just me working out the implications of the worldview, you know, really on... On atheism, if a loved one dies, the grief makes perfect mm. sense. Perfect, absolutely mm. perfect sense. I, I, I mm. absolutely get that. Mm. But the, the the anger piece, which often it comes with, that doesn't make sense because mm. this is the way the universe is supposed to be. In fact, I remember there was a very mm. surreal um, one of my kind of heroes for for, for business heroes for years. I mean, he had feet of clay, but he was a fascinating character. Steve Jobs and Steve, mm. you know, founder of Apple, computer course died of cancer. And I think his fifties, mm. and again was cut down very young. But you know, mm. not long before he died, he gave a, the commencement address, I think, at Stanford University, and he did this thing in that, talking about death being tried to spin it as death being a good thing. It's nature's way of mm. you know keeping things new and fresh. You know, the old is is yeah. swept out, and the new comes in. I remember listening listening to it, thinking, Steve, there's a reason you work in technology and not in counselling or anything pastoral, because that's mm. at the very best that might work for you personally. But when you yeah. when you're in the face of grief, somebody helpfully telling you, well, yeah, you know, it's good that your loved one carked it because you know there's room for somebody else. There happens yeah. to do something else. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely no no hope at all. And say anyway, back to John eleven, the fact that um, mm. we have that we you know Jesus in the sense of you know validating grief that Jesus grieved, mm. but also anger. I think I think that's helpful. Mm. And the Psalms too, of course, are helpful. I've always oh, yeah. found when I. When, when, when I've lost friends, you know, to go, actually, it's okay to shout at heaven. It's okay mm. to go, God, what is going on? Mm. Um, you know, that is not, that's not invalid. And you said yeah. something earlier, you talk about short circuiting things. I think sometimes as Christians, mm. 
we almost feel guilty for feeling for feeling some of those mm. emotions. Mm. Whereas actually, mm. you know, the, the Bible actually validates that mm. it's not right to stay in those emotions, but to pass mm. through them. Yeah, the the, the I said, of course the whole you know, there's a whole theological category of lament which we spend a lot of time avoiding, especially as evangelicals, because yes. we want to be we want to be on the front foot, uh, happy go lucky. Nothing really phases us, um, and we'll, we'll kind of carry on and push on. Not just with not the British stiff upper lip, really, almost more just with the uh, the instinct of just pragmatism, I guess, and, and continuing uh, with the mission that we have. And I don't think it's uh, it's wrong actually to be mission focused in everything we do. Um, I just, and I also don't think it's a good thing to be overly uh, lamentable. Is that even the phrase? Lamenty it certainly isn't the phrase, but we can absolutely overindulge. I think you mentioned it earlier. There's, there is a sense in which our culture does the, often has the worst of both worlds. Really, we're, we're very slight on the truth, um, and we skew the truth to kind of fit our own sentiments. And we're also overly wallowing sometimes in in um, in lament for various things, which uh, I guess skew us in in, in other ways. So, so. I, don't think it's it's the case of, of needing to sort of put everything out there all the time but at the same time we have the we have the equal problem of, of wanting to box it up and wanting to compartmentalize grief in ways that it just refuses to do if the loss is real you can't not feel that and pretend that you can't feel it i, I think thinking of um we talked a bit, a bit earlier about the c.s lewis's a, a grief observed which i've um used in, in uh, lectures before when I've been talking about kind of cultural and, and personal crisis before um, and how people reflect on that theologically. And there's the famous, of course, transition with Lewis. It's not, uh, maybe perhaps not as, as huge as people sometimes try to make it seem, seem as it was, but he obviously wrote in a problem of the uh, problem of pain book a little bit more objectively about suffering and pain. You know, the kind of pain is yes. God's megaphone to rouse a, a deaf world. Great quotes and, and still very truthful, but but perhaps less raw than you see in A Grief Observed, which, of course, he published under a pseudonym at first. And that just gets more into the experience of what it actually feels like to experience loss. He uses phrases like, grief is like amputation. Um, it feels like something's been amputated. You can't just pretend that you don't have a leg or you don't have an arm. I'll just pretend it isn't there. Um, or pretend it is there, actually, or pretend I never had it in the first place. You can't do that. Loss will surprise you in ways yeah, well, you, you, that you don't expect. There's that other, other famous quote from there, which I'll just read out. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. Also kind of refers to elsewhere as almost being intoxicated. There's a kind of, there are ways in which grief just comes upon you when you, when you see that loss. And for me, even recently, um, just it was it was it's the moment of, of being in a certain room of the of, uh, of my mum's house and not and knowing that she wouldn't ever be walking into one of those rooms again um knowing that i she, i expect her to come in i expect mm. her to come in and say something at a certain moment or to say something about a certain song and it's not going to happen and that's those moments are really really painful and i, th I just think there is something about that that jars should jar with us. It should jar with our life. We can't pretend that we go on living life. Why? Why does my life mean anything if I can't feel the loss of someone when they're not here? 
who means something mm-hmm. to me. Why should anyone, why should my life matter to what is or any of my busyness or any of my emails, any of my projects in life? Why does it matter at all um, if I will be dust one day too and someone else will be like, oh, well, better move on, better move on and, and get on with the dust. Like, it's actually the fact that we mourn and grieve for those around us um, who we've loved and have loved us that makes our going on living and uh, living meaningfully in this world mm. you know, continue to have sense and continue to have purpose and mission because we have a hope beyond that. The fact that we have a hope not only for eternity, but a hope for now as well, that there's a meaning to what we do. And in the family ties and the bonds that we have are, are significant. They give glory mm. to God and they're um, amazingly important things. So we mustn't pretend that the things don't matter, as you say, in the Steve Jobs philosophy of, oh, well, <clears throat> move on. There's some atoms can have just been rearranged on the planet and time for some new atoms to be arranged uh, somewhere else. And that strikes me as a very you know, dark and far more tragic view than people even realize. Yet so many people almost live like that, don't they? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's dark in, in a number of ways, not least because if that's all that death is, I sort of slightly worry that then you get a you get a dictator and a thug like, like mm. Putin as we're recording this, you know, Ukraine mm. is mm. happening. Okay, well, if all death is, is rearranging a few atoms, then, you know, a dictator can go, well, that's all I'm doing. I'm not actually engaging in genocide. I'm, I'm just mm. redistributing stardust, mm. Um, mm. which I don't think works. I'm, I'm conscious we're sort of coming to the to the end of things. I guess the last thing I thought would be. Do you mean do you mean eschatologically or just for this? Well, I meant for the, for the podcast. But are I, you talking about nuclear war nuclear, here? Or oh gosh, you? no. Let's let's yeah. not go there. Uh, quite well, let's definitely not go there. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not do let's not make nuclear war happen as a result of this podcast. I yes, we well, are. we might talk about it in the, in the next podcast. But the yeah. um the last thing I thought would be a good place to kind of end and just talk around for a few minutes as we as we wrap things up. There's that. You know, lovely kind of verse, isn't there? In First Corinthians four, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Thank you. Why do I say Corinthians? I literally, I've got the text in front of me. <laughs> See, this is what happens if you get me to do a podcast at half past ten at night. I can't even read the text. First Thessalonians four, verse thirteen, which talks to where where uh, you know it says, uh, "Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed, but those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again." And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And I suppose the last thing would be interesting to tease out for a few minutes is obviously we want to grieve. And grieving is is normal and a healthy. Jesus modeled this. It's very much, uh, you know, part of the whole process of what happens when we lose somebody. But there's also, of course, that little text there about making sure that we don't grieve as people who in the world who don't have hope. So I guess I suppose a question to think about, how do we how do we get the balance kind of right how do we know what's healthy grief unhealthy grief when grief is so personal you know there's no there's no one guaranteed journey i know you've got the five stages of mm. you know lots mm. you know of, of, of bereavement kubler ross's mm. you know famous sort of mm. stuff but um but everyone's path through grief is different so mm. how do we discern mm. good grief bad yeah. grief grieving like the world grieving as one to have hope yeah I, th- I, th- I said a little bit like what we've been saying earlier around focusing on the concreteness of the hope if indeed um, based on what you can know externally um of course and also holding out the mystery of what you cannot know um but i think what paul's getting at in, in one of the Thessalonians is, is this sense of the hope of resurrection being a real thing that isn't that actually links us into hope that 
it just goes way back. I mean, it goes to the very heart of who God's people have always been. Um, so when he's talking about those who've fallen asleep, of course, that there's, you know, in contrast to the Sadducees who didn't believe there um, would be a resurrection, he's talking about those who seem like um, it's the end. In, in the world's eyes, it looks like it's completely over. There's, it, there's an obliteration of their life because we live only for this world. Um, and Paul's trying to remind believers, no, you need to see what it is we're really living for. We're living for something beyond um, merely the kind of you know the seventy odd years that we can um, expect here, as as we're often you know the three score year and ten. Um, can I amass the right amount of money? Can I build enough capital? Can I achieve enough? Can I be remembered more than my neighbour? Um, can I have this many children or grandchildren, whatever it would be, whatever the whatever achievement looks like for someone in their life is if that is that all it is, um, and when they die, is that it? Just it's, it's obliteration of that life, or is that a falling asleep to come alive again in the final resurrection? So he's hearkening back to um, an ancient belief that even pre- that predates you know um, Jesus, as it were, um, and and his culmination in, in his own resurrection. In, in the belief in the in the resurrection that's always been present in um, the people of God, but I, I think so. I think there's a sense of holding on to what that is, and, and not and not just kind of accepting um, the absolute tragedy of losing someone forever. So though you feel the loss of them here and now, you sense that actually we're living for something else. We're living for eternity, and so if you have an eternal perspective you do see it differently so paul elsewhere will say to live as christ to die is gain and i don't think he would you know speak like that necessarily in every moment oh don't worry to live as christ to die is gain um as though Mm. that would comfort someone because jesus did weep at, uh, at lazarus's tomb um and i think that we do have that tension of the of the we have hope we have the reality that we've described about loss and grief and lament and things not being as they ought to be, things not being as they were in Eden. But we do also have that genuine hope that kind of leads us away from the kind of darkness and despair that would say, right, that's it then. That is literally it. So we must grieve as though this is the ultimate tragedy of tragedies. This whole person's life, all of their hopes and longings are just gone. Mm. Actually, no, they're not. If, if they've been living a life for eternity, they're not at all. The things that we mm. do on earth will actually be echoed in eternity in significant ways. Yeah. Treasure in heaven. Don't build up yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but seek treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Yeah. There's a complete difference there. And I think we, we like, we're quite good at talking about that in general and it being vague, pie in the sky kind of way. But there's a real concrete reality that the earliest Christians have always held on to. And it was why it was so important. It's why, you know, the stuff we've talked about before about the uh, N.T. Wright stuff on the resurrection, how important it was, the physicality of the resurrection, how important it was that we don't just believe in a general spiritual sense of a resurrection, but actually, you know, the physicality uh, means that our physical acts, the things that we do here on earth, mm. also matter significantly, and that there will be physicality in, in heaven as well. So, mm. yeah, all of that kind of stuff. There's a there's a, a, a bunch of jumbled thoughts perhaps there, but this, that sense mm. of the reality of eternity, what we live for, that, that eternal city being key. Yeah, I think there's lots to think there about. Well, I think that's a good place to to end it. And um, 
Aaron, thank you for kind of talking quite honestly. I know this has been a very sort of it's like strange episode mm-hmm. uh, in a sense. I know some of this is obviously very, very raw for you, but I hope I hope folks have found that that helpful. As I say, we've always said at the part of the gaps, we want to talk about the things that people don't talk about. And sometimes I don't I don't think some of this is is talked about even in the church. I think there can be a, a naivety somewhere it's, you know either as I say we just grieve like the world or a sort of sense of hey you're a christian just please all together and get on with it and you know life is mm. great and actually the reality is that actually is somewhere is somewhere in the middle you know psalm 23 and and you know walk through the valley of the shadow of the death of death does actually recognize there is death and it is there is a shadow and it's going to be a bit painful mm. passing mm. through it but as we've said there we don't grieve as those with no hope but with very much mm. a real and living hope so mm. there we are well this has been part of the gaps, maybe a bit less banter this time, but I hope it's, uh, hope it's been helpful. And, uh, Aaron and I will be back, um, in much shorter time than the last, the last gap. And, uh, boy, with everything that's going on in the world right now, there are so many things to talk about. <laughs> we will definitely talk about some of them on the next episode. Yeah, you never know. We, we could, you know, we might not be here next week. You never know. So who knows? How, how, how do we I mean, promise? Maybe I won't end. We won't end. We'll end part of the gaps with the usual piece of music rather than paying the final countdown because that probably would just have people rather too depressed. Um, but true. yeah, I think yeah. in the next episode, we plan to talk about some of the big issues around around sort of what's going on in culture right now, particularly with, with Ukraine and the whole global order uh, up and down. Because of course, we can think about grief, can't we, in the kind of small and the, mm. and the individual, but there's also mm. grief. I think a lot of people right now, grief and fear. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. what's going on in, in, in culture and it's either in the spectrum so we'll dig into some of that yeah. on the next episode meanwhile goodbye from me it's goodbye from him thanks for listening